from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Members at Amplify Credit Union no longer have to worry about incurring any fees on their accounts. The $1.2 billion asset credit union in Austin, Texas, switched to a fee-free model in February that eliminated all banking fees on deposit accounts. I'm Jennifer Plager, Managing Editor with CUNA News. I recently spoke with Stacey Armijo, Chief Experience Officer at Amplify. She spoke about Amplify's decision to remove fees, what it means for members, the response from members, how other credit unions can pursue a fee-free model, and more. Stacey, why did Amplify Credit Union decide to explore fee-free banking? So when we looked at how we could have a compelling product around checking and savings accounts, we decided that we wanted to start by learning more about what motivations consumers have with respect to that. So there's, you know, a thousand and one variations on the checking account. What was it that we should be thinking about with our products that would make them different? And so we did some research and what we found was a couple of things. One thing is members do highly value security and we already had that. But second to that, they highly value avoiding fees. So not exactly a flash of insight. I don't think that will surprise anybody to say people don't like to pay fees. But what we learned that we thought was really interesting was why. So the reason why people don't like to pay fees is not because they can't pay fees. It's because they feel that it's wrong that they should have to pay fees. So it's a little bit more about sort of fairness and control than it is so much about financial capacity. And so we sort of keyed into that. We were looking at these survey results and our CEO in a meeting just said, what if we just got rid of them? And it was kind of a moment of like, what? What are you talking about? And everybody thought like, oh, oh, that's cute. Like, you know, he's, he must be having a bad day. He's, you know, talking about these crazy ideas. But then we thought about it more and more and we looked at it more and more and we looked at the way our business is structured and and we realized we might actually be able to do this. So that was two and a half years ago, I think it was, from sort of that first insight and conversation until we actually were able to make the switch and start talking about it. And when it came to be decision time, what ultimately went into the decision to remove fees? So there were a couple of things. The first part of the decision was about financial feasibility, right? So how can we do away with this income stream without putting you know, the credit union's financial performance at risk? And so we looked at how could we replace that income? So what we realized was a few things. One is we have a balanced business model. And um, in particular, for over the last five years, we've dramatically grown our mortgage originations, to the point where we now originate more mortgages than we can hold on our balance sheet on a regular basis. And so we sell those loans into the secondary market. In fact, we the majority of them we sell to credit unions. So we're putting performing assets on the balance sheets of other credit unions that don't carry quite as high a loan to share ratio as we do. So we're adding performing assets to their balance sheets, and then we get income from that in terms of both gain on sale and mortgage servicing rights. So it's that non-interest income, which is what every institution is needs so badly in order to smooth out the volatility and the long, slow, painful death of net interest margin that makes interest income just so much harder to control. But it's non-interest income that is driven by a product that consumers value, as opposed to non-interest income driven by a fee that consumers resent, essentially. So it's really, for us, it's thinking about fee for service versus fee for failure. 
So we want to our members to feel good about the way that they're doing business with us and not to feel resentful of the money that they feel has been quote unquote taken out of their checking account. So we did the financial projections first and we realized, okay, we can balance our business model across the lending and deposit sides of the house in a way that maybe some other institutions couldn't. And then also, I mean, of course, you get more core deposits, that improves your net interest margin. The less you have to pay on your deposit, the more that that interest income is going to be positively affected. So we looked at this as a long-term core deposit gathering strategy. And then secondarily to that, you get enough activated debit cards on those accounts and you get the interchange income that comes from that. So our financial models, if all works out as we project or better, we actually think this is going to be a net positive to the credit union in terms of income. It's just thinking differently about where those income sources need to come from and being willing to sort of lean into areas where it's more along the lines of what our member wants and value that they're looking for, as opposed to income streams that we've just become used to. So that was step one, was financial feasibility. But then over the course of doing this research, we actually kind of realized as well, there's a a larger mission element here than I would say we didn't really understand it going in about when you start looking at fees, you start looking at who's paying fees and you start looking at how does that affect equity, for example. So there's a disproportionate impact of these types of fees on communities of color and on an age basis. And so we started looking more into that research and those demographics and realized this is not shared across our membership in some sort of equitable way. And then also just looking at our own data and our own performance. So overdraft fees in particular, for example, this prompted us to look closer and realize we have a very small segment of our membership who is delivering the vast majority of the income that comes from that. And it's because that program is being used in ways it was never intended to be used. It was intended to be a convenience now and then, you know, when people have things come up, right? It was not meant to be something that members relied on and paid hundreds or in some cases, even thousands of dollars a year in overdraft fees. And so if we are about improving the financial lives of our members, that's our mission. We have to look at how members are using our products in a way that doesn't really meet that mission and then be willing to do something different. And when you're talking fee-free at Amplify, you're talking all fees because you've heard some institutions who are like, you know, oh, we're going to drop the overdraft fee, but still all the other fees still exist. So at Amplified, is it all fees or is it just a few fees? It is all bank fees. I've realized because this is kind of different than what people expect. I've realized a way that you have to say it to help people understand. Any depositor at our institution, it is impossible for them to incur any kind of fee. Doesn't matter what their balance is, doesn't matter what their behaviors are, doesn't matter which product they have or how long they've had it. It is impossible to be charged a fee at Amplify for banking. I say it that way because it's exactly what you're describing. The industry is awash in this fee, that fee promotion, quote unquote, free checking. And people are so used to having fees charged on their free checking account. The irony of that, it's actually kind of hard to get people to believe you that you're really doing this in in the way that you are. So to our knowledge, we believe we are the only full service financial institution that doesn't charge any banking fees on our deposit accounts. There are some online only banks out there that have, you know, they may offer one service specifically and they have something like this, but full service institutions like ours, where you can expect a regular suite of products and consumers don't have to pick and choose between different ones. We believe we're the only one to do this. We haven't seen anybody else that has done it like this anyway. I can see heads exploding 
when you're talking about this. So what's the response been from your membership and the community? The response has been really positive once we can get people to understand how far we're taking this. So, you know, the first response has been, oh, yeah, that's nice. That's cool. I've heard of, you know, people are doing that now, right? They're lowering this fee or they're diminishing that one. But once you actually get them to understand, it's sort of surprise and delight is how I would say is, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that there was an option to be able to do this. We actually just launched the public campaign. So we rolled this out in a staged fashion. So we first rolled it out just to our existing members. We turned off all the fees over the course of the first month of this year. And then we announced it to our existing members on what we now call fee-free day. So that was 2-2-22. And we said, hey, congratulations. You no longer can ever get a fee on any of your accounts. And we got a lot of really positive feedback from that. And we let that play out for a couple of weeks. There's a lot of technical pieces that have to go into the back end of accomplishing that. It's amazing to discover how many different fees you have and how many systems those have to run through when you say, let's turn them all off. <laughs> it's uh, it's fascinating, actually. So we wanted to give ourselves a little bit of cushion that just in case there were some bumpy things from a technical perspective that we could kind of smooth those out before we did too much of a larger launch. Luckily, it went super smooth. We didn't really have any issues with that. And we spent the last uh, six months or so really focused on improving our online account opening process. Because what we wanted was when we launched this to the public, the idea is we have been a digital first credit union for a long time. So we have physical locations and we want to serve people there, but we have a digital first mentality in terms of how we approach growth in particular. So what we didn't want is to shout this from the rooftops and then have people think they had to walk into one of our physical locations to get this done. We wanted them to have a super smooth digital experience. So we're going to try to reach you digitally. We're going to give you an online account opening option. And it is our hope that that works so smoothly for you that you never even notice that you haven't walked into a branch and that you might be 40 miles from our nearest branch. And you're going to feel good about that because you won't even notice. That's kind of the goal. So we we did, that's one reason we decided on the timing that we did, because we were very tempted to push this forward. And we saw everybody announcing all of these no fee things. We were worried about getting lost in the noise, which I think is something we're navigating now. But we decided better to launch this well and to be able to welcome new people into our institution in a way that we had a lot of confidence in, especially from digital deposit service point of view, as opposed to launch it fast and then have it feel clunky and have people have a negative reaction. Because for us, this isn't a trendy strategy. It's not the promotion of the quarter. This is a shift in how we think about our business model and how we're going to market. And we wanted to take the time to really do it right. You started talking about this as an organization a couple of years ago, and, and, and now we're hearing all this noise about other financial institutions who are kind of, you know, dropping a fee here or cutting a fee here, you know, like, what does it mean knowing that you guys were a little bit ahead of the game in terms of thinking about this idea and and starting to put it into play? I think it's helpful in that we were able to equip our organization to make that pivot in a pretty, I'd characterize it as kind of an extreme way. You know, so as opposed to the dropping this fee, that fee, lowering this one, that one, we decided to just take it all in one chunk. We did that for the primary reason being you don't get to promote being fee-free if you're not really fee-free, right? You can't say we're sort of kind of fee-free. You know, I mean, this is what banking has done forever, right? So we wanted to really have the opportunity to have the value proposition. And we are fortunate in that our business model hasn't relied as much on this type of income as other institutions of our size traditionally have to where the research I've seen is it's roughly a quarter of the income of institutions like ours. For us, it was less than 5%. 
just because we already had a relatively fee-averse membership. So something that was considered a quote-unquote weakness of our business model previously, we decided, let's turn that into a market advantage. As opposed to thinking that that's some kind of weakness, how can we make it an advantage? And to do that, we have to go all the way. We can't do this in small bits and bytes. Now, for institutions that maybe their profile looks different, right? And being able to just raise their hand and in one year sacrifice that much income is not not a practical or feasible thing. Taking it in bits and bytes is much better than not doing it at all. Because, I mean, I feel like this is very quickly becoming table stakes for what consumers are going to expect in their accounts. And so we can either set the pace ourselves and we can make these decisions ourselves and plan it into our business cycle and do it in a way that is feasible, or we can wait until our customer does it to us through attrition or until the regulators do it to us through concerns about where are these income streams happening and and how do we feel about that? I'd always much rather be in the driver's seat of those decisions and let's try to think forward about what does the customer want and how can we proactively shape our business in order to get there before somebody else forces us there. There's a lot of talk about financial well-being for all in the industry right now. So how does this kind of fit in? I think this is one of the more effective ways we can deliver financial well-being for all because of who pays fees. So when we think about like what are the other ways that we deliver financial well-being as credit unions? Lower rates on loans, higher rates on deposits, dividends. If you think kind of financially, those are really the ways that we do that. Well, each of those ways benefits somebody with more money more. So if I have more capacity to take on more debt because I have a higher income, so my debt to income ratio is within acceptable standards, then I benefit more from that low rate on a loan. Or if I have a lot of money in my deposit accounts and I'm making a good rate on that, then I benefit more. And if I have a lot on deposit or I have a high combined balance, I'm the one who gets the most in the dividends. And so that's okay because that's also, those are the people who are delivering the foundation that makes us able to serve others. But fees and avoiding fees gives us an opportunity to help every member, whether you've got $5 on deposit or $500,000 on deposit, you benefit equally from this. So we looked at, for example, the year-end dividends that were announced. You know, So year-end 2021, the last announcements came out a couple of months ago. And uh, on a per-member basis, what we have realized is the amount of income that we will not collect from our members in the fees that we would have otherwise gotten equates to the third largest member give back as a dividend. So if we were to have collected all of those things and then given them back to our members on a per-member basis, it would have been the third largest in the industry. And we let them keep that money in their pockets. We don't keep it and then decide how much of it we're going to give back to them when we feel like giving it back to them. So they get to keep it and it benefits everybody across the spectrum of our membership. So as I think about financial well-being, to me, looking at fees and how does that have a negative impact on your member and on their financial lives and on their financial health? And can't we do that better? We as an industry, we can do this better. So there used to be a strong rationale around why do you charge X amount for a wire transfer fee, let's say, something like that. Well, because there's expense, right? You have to have people that are managing that process. And it used to be a very manual, a very paper-intensive, person-intensive process. And so you were having to pay the people to do the work. It was a service to the member. It made sense that this is the fee that we charge. So much of that has changed to where the ability to deliver these deposit services 
is automated in ways that make the actual hard cost to the institution nominal as compared to what it once was. So as we think about how can we be making money and why would we want to make it this way versus that way, I would much rather deliver strong financial performance because we have excellent loan products and they're supported through affordable deposits and that delivers enough income for our credit union and everybody gets to feel good about that. Our member feels good about the access that they have to their ability to buy their home or buy their car or fund their small business. And we get to feel good because we made money helping them do what they want to do. So it's really, I think it's about a philosophy and thinking a little bit differently about how we've thought about financial inclusion in the past. So as a credit union that's been through it and they've made the decision and they've rolled out the fee-free model, what kind of advice do you have for other organizations who are interested but are going, we don't even know where to start or what to do? I think my first piece of advice for a credit union who's thinking about something like this is go look at your fees. Because that was instructive for us, that when we really started thinking about this and focusing on it, it was an area of the business that we hadn't sort of zoomed out on in that way. You know, it just, it had become such routine course of business and you don't really spend time kind of looking up. I mean, maybe you look at what you charge in fees for this, that, or the other thing as compared to other institutions on some routine basis, but it's not something that you really parse out and say, what are these fees? Why are they what they are? Who's paying them? And what impact does that have on us? Because I think just even getting that context and that sense of understanding gave us a lot of wherewithal to say, this isn't what we thought it was or ever intended it to be. I mean, from a philosophical point of view, and we can do that differently. That would be my first piece of advice is just go learn more about who's paying fees in your organization, what they're paying for and why, and then go for the low-hanging fruit. So not everybody can do an Amplify, right? Not everybody can just bite the bullet and do it all at the same time. But even if all you can do is get rid of some of your fees or lower some of your fees, I mean, the bad news there is you probably won't get much lift in terms of marketing out of that. It's going to be harder to get somebody excited about your overdraft fee is only $15. It's harder to do that. But that is an easier way to condition your organization to go without that income. So like, if you need to go a little slower because that type of income is a bigger part of your financial picture and you just need some time before you can get it all the way to zero, then I think doing a gradual approach, it's certainly going to make your current members happy. And if you can make sure that they're aware of it, that's going to be helpful. In the meantime, what are you doing in the other parts of your business that are going to make up for that income? How are we delivering value elsewhere? So do you have this sort of sliding scale of, okay, we're going to slowly over two years, let's say, phase out all of these fees or get them down to a certain number, whatever it might be, while we do whatever it is that we're going to do to develop income on the other side. And you might need some time to do that. I do think it's achievable for any institution. If you're willing to really do the work and get in there and make it happen, I would say start now. It is a long process. And we all know, like, we all know how budgeting works in in credit unions, right? And it's like, okay, right now we're beginning to think about what the 23 business plan looks like. Yeah, because We're going to have to start building budgets soon and project plans and whatever. So just the nature of our industry requires things that take much longer to produce results than I think is likely in other areas. If you decide to, oh, we're going to get to that. Yeah, I see that trend coming. And yeah, we're one day we're going to look at our fees. I mean, not this year because gosh, we're so busy and talent's so expensive and inflation and name all the reasons why somebody would want to say, well, we can't do it now. I mean, it's just, it's too hard to do now. But one day we're going to get there. Don't do that because one day will never come. 
But then one day you will wake up and you'll realize our members really dislike us because we're now these outliers that are the only ones who charge these fees. And we look like the bad guys now, instead of having been in the driver's seat of being the good guys. My advice would be do what you can do. That might look different for every institution, but define what you can do. Get to know what fees you already charge and who is that impacting and how do you feel about that? And start today, adapting to the new reality that is non-interest income needs to not be on the backs of your depositors. There are other avenues to get non-interest income. Let's go find them. Let's go explore them because there's a shelf life to doing that with your members and you don't want to be caught there. So it sounds like it's not something that's limited to the big credit unions or even the mid-sized credit unions. Even a tiny credit union should be able to explore this model and, and pull it off. Absolutely. I think this is something that credit unions of any size could consider. I think this is more contingent on what is the nature of your business model and where might that income come from if it's not from those fees. So I think it's more about thinking about, okay, what are our other income sources and then how can we adapt? But in this case, I think this is one of the situations where it might actually be easier to do as a smaller credit union. As a smaller credit union, it might feel like, oh my gosh, all these ideas or these things that I see out there just feel so impractical to me at a smaller size. This is one of those things that like smaller credit unions can pivot faster in certain areas because they aren't carrying the weight of so much legacy and so much structure in some cases. So I would say this might actually be more achievable as a smaller institution, depending on what your income mix is and and what you want to accomplish. What does this mean for the credit union movement now and, and in the future? What does it mean for the future of credit unions? I think for the future of credit unions, this is an opportunity that we have to be leaders in what we think being a great financial institution is about. Because for me, like that's what being a credit union is about. It's about delivering on the mission of putting people in contact with their money and putting them in control and putting them in the driver's seat. They are the people who benefit for having been invested in this organization. And doing away with fees is a great opportunity to be able to say, we're doing that, that thing that we were founded to do oh so long ago, we're doing that now just in a new way. And we can be leaders in that if we're willing to sort of press the gas and and go in that direction. I also think it could help us a lot as we think about what some of the regulatory threats are out there. For example, I mean, the Durban Amendment, and there's always this threat about what's going to happen with interchange income. And so to be able to go and say... Dear lawmakers who are considering this idea of capping interchange income or lowering it and whatnot, let me show you what the industry is already doing to keep money in consumers' pockets. This system is working and it relies on having a steady stream of interchange income. So let me show you why that's actually positive to the consumer as opposed to something that feels protectionist. So I think there's a way that we can make this relevant across a broader segment of what we're trying to accomplish as credit unions beyond just what we want to do in our own business. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio.